My name is Pastor Marianne. It's a joy to be with you today and to get to bring you the word from the book of Deuteronomy. Something you might not know about me, or maybe you do, I love technology. I love technology. My, my family knows that if they give me a birthday gift and it is some new product from Apple, I am thrilled. I love technology. But um, with each new advancement in technology, there are also opportunities for cyber criminals. Have you heard about voice cloning? One of the newest threats with the advancement of artificial intelligence is the ability for criminals to clone your voices and make fake distress calls to the people that you love. One woman actually recently testified between the US Senate that she received a call from a scammer who claimed that he had kidnapped her 15-year-old daughter. And when the man was on the other line, she heard the voice of her 15-year-old screaming in the background, help me, help me, mom. Now, thankfully, her daughter was sound asleep in her bed in the next room, so that was good. But um, what she testified is that the voice that she actually heard was her daughter's voice. It had been captured from a social media video, and it had been used by artificial intelligence to make a distress call to her mom with the hopes that the scammers could get her mom to pay ransom money. Now this week, I don't know if you heard, but there are new warnings about cyber criminals who can hold real-time conversations with you over the phone. If your voice is captured um, through a computer, somebody can actually type words and have a real-time conversation with you in the voice of your loved one. And you may not be able to discern if you're speaking to your loved one or if you're speaking to somebody who's an impersonator. So cybersecurity experts are urging families to arm themselves with strategies that will authenticate the identity of their family members. Have you heard about this? They recommend that you have a code word, a specific word that you and your family members know to say to authenticate a conversation that may be a counterfeit. Or they say to talk about, ask each other questions about a shared memory that you have that only that person who shared that memory could answer. That's a good way to smoke out a scammer. So we need to prepare ourselves to step into this new age of artificial intelligence so we won't be deceived by counterfeiters who are out in the world trying to rob us of our identity and our resources. Now in the same way, we find in our study of Deuteronomy that God is warning the people at the boundary about the dangers that await them in the land that they're about to enter. There are people who are going to challenge their loyalty to God, and there are people in that land who are going to try to, to, to steal their identity and to steal their resources. The Israelites, as they're getting ready to go cross the boundary into this new promised land that God is giving to them, they're gonna be tempted to forget all that God has done for them all the ways that he has been faithful to the promises that he made to their forefathers. They're gonna be tempted to worship the Canaanite gods of the, of, that, that, will, that are the, four, the false gods, the idols. They're gonna be tempted to worship them and it's gonna cause them potentially to forfeit their spiritual blessings that God is prepared to give them in this new land. If you are new to River West, Welcome, we are in a study of Deuteronomy, it's called People at the Boundary, and today we're opening up our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter four, 
And we're gonna find that Moses is reminding the people today that there is no one like God. There's no one like God. He is the one and only who has done great things because of who he is, and he is worthy of their loyalty and their love. So let's read together uh, Deuteronomy 4. I'll have it on the screen. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Bibles may come down the aisles, um, or you can pull it up on your phone, but we've got it on the screen for you. Starting at verse 32. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of other, another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war? by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other beside him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you to their land for inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath and there is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word that you spoke, and there are things for us to learn today about who you are and what you've done. And there is a call in our own hearts to live by faith. And so I pray, Lord, that in this moment, you would choose my words, you would open our hearts, and you would attune our ears to your voice and your voice alone. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, we are going to worship God together through the revelation of his word. And as, as Moses recounts for the Israelites all that God has done for them, we are going to be reminded that there is no one like God. There's no one like God. We're going to see in our passage today that God is extraordinary in who he is. He's extraordinary in what he's done. And he wants his people to live extraordinary lives of faith. To catch you up, if you've been joining us, if you're joining us afresh in this study of Deuteronomy, the last couple of weeks we've been in chapter 4. So to catch you up, Israel was standing at the border, the boundary of the promised land, and Moses has been exhorting them to step into this inheritance with obedient faith and caution. We've talked in the last couple of weeks about how vital it was that they kept God's commandments. Um, They needed to keep God's commandments because they're going to be encountering people in this land that are going to look at their faith and God wants them to marvel about who he is as he looks at the faith of the Israelites and as as they learn about this righteousness, these righteous laws that he has given them. 
The people of Israel were supposed to be the illumination of the one true God to the nations who had been worshiping a multitude of counterfeit gods. And these nations had been practicing, having spiritual practices that were, were dark and full of evil. And so Moses is reminding them that God has promised to bless them if they obey his commands. God's desire was to give them this abundant life as they stepped into the land of promise. But Moses was also warning them to guard their hearts because God knew how predisposed they were towards idolatry. He knew how quickly they could shift their worship from worshiping him to worshiping these man-made statutes made of bronze and iron and wood. And Moses warned them that God would not share their affection with idols. And so it was critical for them to understand that there actually was a real danger that they were going to face when they stepped over that boundary line. It wasn't actually the fighting. They might have thought it was the fighting with the people that lived there, but it wasn't that because God had already promised them the victory in the battles. The greatest danger they were going to face was the danger of the war that was going to go on in their own hearts. That was where the real danger was. Were they going to follow God's instructions and remain loyal to him in worship? Or would they be swallowed up in the way of the Canaanites and forget all about who God was and what God had done for them? And you know, we have to turn the spotlight on ourselves for just a moment, because what about us? Um, How quickly do we forget all that God has done for us in our lives? How quickly do we forget who he is when we get so deeply immersed in the messaging from our own culture? in our own world, how quickly do we lose our focus and we forget? How easily do we exchange our loyalty for God for something that's more appealing or more tangible in the moment? So this is as much a danger for us as it was for them. We have something to learn from the things that Moses is challenging them about today. Now, what Moses does in this first part is he actually asks them three rhetorical questions casting their attention back to how faithful God has been based on who he is. The first question that he asks is, has any great event like what Israel experienced ever happened before? Look at verse 32. He says, for ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since that day that God created man on earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. He's saying, look, go back to the beginning of creation, back to the Garden of Eden, or look up into the expanse of the heavens from universe to universe. Has God ever done anything like this, like what he's done for Israel? Has he ever done that for anyone else before? He's not saying that God hasn't potentially done something greater, but he's saying he's never done something uniquely like this. Now, what is this? What is he referring to? He's referring to the fact that God created a great nation out of the descendants of Abraham, and he entered into a covenant relationship with them. If we rewind back to Exodus 19, we find that when the Israelites were in the desert at the base of Mount Sinai, Moses went up to the top of the mountain, and there God spoke to him, and this is what he said. The Lord God called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." 
These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. This became the beginning of this covenant relationship between the people of Israel and God. And we call this the Mosaic Covenant. Um, This began where, where God says, you will be my people and I will be your God. And the people agreed, yes, we will be your people and you will be our God. And the degree to which they obeyed God's instructions, they followed his, his commandments, they would be blessed as a people and they would be a blessing to the world. So in this first question, Moses is challenging them to remember God's mighty act as their creator. He created them, and he, he is authoring the story that he is writing uniquely on their lives as his covenant people. The second question that he asks, rhetorical question, is this. He says, has anyone ever heard the voice of God? Did any people, and he says in verse 33, did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? In this same scene in Exodus, Moses called the people out of the camp and he gathered them at the base of the mountain. And God spoke to Moses through thunder and they witnessed fire. It's in Exodus 19. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Imagine this. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. So Moses is reminding the people, he's like, no other nation on earth has ever received this kind of direct revelation from God himself. This was a completely unique thing that God has done for his people. And then the last question he asks is, has any God ever attempted to take a nation from the middle of another nation? He says in verse 34, has any, has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? What God did for the Israelites in freeing them from slavery and Egypt was incomparable. I mean, think about it, how he rescued them through the mighty plagues, how he parted the Red Sea, how he led them into the wilderness, how he cared for them there for those many years. Like that was miraculous what he did. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Do you know what that means? They had no education. They had no um, organization. They had no military training. They were, had no leadership skills. They had been slaves for 400 years and they had been slaves under one of the most sophisticated and powerful governments in the world. So what God did to deliver them from captivity and provide for them in the wilderness was extraordinary. And Moses is saying, there is no one like God. He's reminding them to, to look back into their history and remember that God is their creator who made them and entered into this covenant relationship with them. He's reminding them that God is their revealer, that he himself has made himself known to them by his word and given them instructions about how to live under his protective care and blessing. 
And he's telling them, he's your deliverer. He rescued you from slavery and demonstrated his mighty power to save his people. And the truth is that God is extraordinary in who he is. He's extraordinary. When you look back over your own life, how has God revealed himself to you? How has he delivered you? How has he saved you? What characteristic of God is most prevalent in your life story? What is the first word that pops into your mind when you think about who God is in your own story? For me, it's faithful. God has been so faithful to his word. He's been so trustworthy with his promises. He has been so present with me through good times and bad times. He has been so faithful. What about you? I really wanna hear. What is, call out a, a, a characteristic of God that comes to mind as something very personal for you. Loving, kind, provider, healer, shield. Ooh, love that one. Patient, deliverer, shout louder so I can hear you. Grace giver, refuge, favor, savior, father. Guide, shepherd, artist, love that. Comfort, advocate, good one. God is extraordinary in who he is. And he reveals his extraordinary nature as he writes his story on the fabric of our lives as he was doing for Israel. And not only is he extraordinary in who he is, but he's extraordinary in what he's done. Moses goes on to explain why God did the things he did for them. He says in verse 35, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God and there is no other beside him. So God demonstrated who he is to them through his mighty acts because he wants them to worship him and him alone. That was critical for them as they stepped over the boundary line into this very dangerous land that they were going to be living in. There were powerful spiritual beings associated with the Canaanite nations. These idols, so to speak, they were not just mere statues made of bronze or iron or wood or stone or whatever they made them with. They were images made to represent powerful spiritual beings, fallen angels, demonic gods that the people in the Canaanite nations worshiped and they worshiped them. And these powerful spiritual beings had dark spiritual power. We saw this power back in Egypt when Pharaoh's magicians were able to replicate some of the things that God was doing by his spirit through Moses and showed that they also had dark spiritual power. And these, these counterfeit gods, these demonic beings were able to influence the people to worship them in ways that were very anti-God like through prostitution, temple prostitution, or through child sacrifice. Horrific things that these demonic gods were able to influence the Canaanite people to do in the spirit of worship. So these beings were anti-God and anti-God's people. This is why God warned his people not to intermarry with the Canaanites when they crossed over the line. We see this in Deuteronomy 7 verses three and four where he said, you shall not intermarry with them giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. 
for they would turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. He could have said to serve other idols or to worship other idols, but he says little G gods. He knows that there is dark spiritual power in these foreign territorial gods. The gods of the Canaanites posed a real danger to the people of Israel. So Moses goes on to remind them of what God has done for them, what Yahweh has done for them. And he reminds them of three things. The first thing he says is, God has spoken to you. Verse 36, out of heaven, he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. Fire was always a symbol that represented God's presence. We, we saw in the wilderness that, that God was with his people, guiding them through the fire. We know that he spoke to Moses out of the fire of the burning bush. God gave them his word, and he was very clear about how he expected them to live their lives because he was shaping them into a people who would reflect his love and his light to the nations around them. They were always to be a blessing to others. They were always to reveal who the one true God was to the nations around them. And the second thing he says is that he has loved them. Verse 37, he says, because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them. God loved the patriarchs. Why? If y'all did the study of Genesis with us, you know there's not a lot of lovely things about the patriarchs. They got themselves into a lot of trouble. But he loved them not because they were deserving of his love, but because he chose to love them. It's what he decided to do. He, he chose to build a nation through the seed of Abraham as a means for blessing the whole world. We could literally say, God so loved the world that he chose Israel to reveal the knowledge of himself to the world and, and to be an instrument in bringing the Messiah, Jesus Christ, into the world through human flesh in order to die on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And it's because of this love that he demonstrates his commitment to the Israelites through his actions. God loved the forefathers and God loved their offspring. The people at the boundary were just as loved as their parents and their grandparents were who were rescued out of slavery in Egypt. The thing I love about God is that he always puts his love into action. God loves and demonstrates that love in action. His love is never confined also to a particular generation. God is love. It's who he is. It's his nature. And he demonstrates his love in extraordinary ways through every generation, including ours today. The third thing he says is that God has saved them. He points to the rest of 37. He saved them by his love and by his great power. He brought you out of Egypt with his own presence and by his great power driving out before you greater nations and, and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. God is so powerful. Nobody can overcome him. There are no forces that can come against him that he cannot overpower. And he put his power into great action as he worked to save his people. And by saving the people of Israel, he saved us. Jesus was born through the human lineage of Abraham. The truth is that God is extraordinary in what he does. He's extraordinary in what he does. I chose the word extraordinary because of its meaning, but I'm somewhat troubled by the fact that when you look at the word, 
it just sounds like extraordinary. On paper, it doesn't seem very extraordinary. It just seems like a little bit more than ordinary. But let me tell you what extraordinary means. It means exceptional, unique, amazing, exceeding, remarkable, astonishing, singular as in one and only, distinctive, marvelous, miraculous, unforgettable, spectacular, unparalleled. Isn't that an amazing and true description of our God? That's who he is. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. And as you look through the whole of scripture, all of scripture proclaims how extraordinary he is and what extraordinary things he has done. Let's look at just a few verses. Jeremiah 10, 6. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. First Chronicles 29, 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Psalm 47, 2, for the Lord, the most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Luke 1, 49 through 50, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Think about your life. What extraordinary things has God done for you? How has God shown you his love in action? Can you think about it? Maybe this is a conversation that you can have over lunch today. Tell each other, what extraordinary thing has God done for you in action? I, was, I could tell you a lot of stories, but I was just thinking about just what I'm experiencing in the moment. I am experiencing like the blessing of community. The blessing of the family I get to live with, five humans and three canines. The blessing of peace, shalom. We talk all the time, like we have so much peace in our family living as five adults and three dogs. Even one dog that is different than the other two. <laughs> um, I enjoy the the community that I share with our women in this. I'm the women's pastor and the community that we have with women in this church is outstanding. It's amazing. The community that I share with my river leaders is amazing. Deep friendships. The community that we share on Sunday is incredible. Where do people go to find this kind of community to have friendships, to have relationships, to worship God together? It's incredible. It's such a blessing. This is what God has done. He's building his church and it's beautiful. Now, thankfully, I'm so thankful that God is actually not looking for extraordinary people to respond to him in faith. He's looking for ordinary people like you and me who will trust him in extraordinary ways. So let's go on to see what Moses says next. He says that it's because of who God is and what God has done that he now exhorts his people to live this extraordinary life of faith. Let's look at verse 39. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath and there is no other. So he says, know therefore. That means to agree in your mind that God is supreme and there is none like him. And then he says, lay it to your heart, which means to believe it in such a way as it moves your will, it moves your desire to want to obey him and do what he says. 
Because the only reasonable response to who God is as the extraordinary God and what he's done by his extraordinary actions, his love and action, is that ultimately we believe that he's good and we agree that his word to us, his instructions for our lives is really the very best possible way that we can live in this broken world. It's just to trust him and to obey his word. He says in verse 40, Therefore, you Israelites shall keep my statutes keep and keep his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. He's saying like, if the Israelites know in their minds and they obey in their hearts, then they are actually going to experience a good life when they step over the boundary. And their children are going to learn from their examples and they're going to have a good life when they step over the boundary. They're going to enjoy the blessings that God has promised them. But you see, every generation is going to have to commit themselves to God by faith. No one gets a free pass based on what grandma and grandpa believed or what mom and dad did for worship. Every new generation is going to have to agree, know in their minds and believe in their hearts and live out, choose to live this extraordinary life of faith. Now, the reason for that is because for them, they are living under the Mosaic Covenant. And remember, the Mosaic Covenant is a conditional agreement that God made with his people. God said to them back in that day, if you obey me, I will bless you. So every generation had to choose obedience to receive blessing. And God was saying to them, and if you are unfaithful to my word, when you cross over into the promised land, then you're going to lose your privilege to stay there. And you're going to be swept away into captivity by the neighboring nations. Because idolatry to God is like adultery in marriage. It's a, it's a violation of a covenant agreement that bears consequences. Now, sadly, as we go through the pages of the Bible, as we look through Israel's history, we discover that actually the Israelites, when they stepped over that boundary line, they really struggled. They really struggled to remember that God was extraordinary in who he was, and he was extraordinary in what he did. And they struggled to remember that they were supposed to live an extraordinary life of faith because they did succumb to the ways of the Canaanites. And they did worship their counterfeit gods. And eventually they did lose their identity and blessing when they were swept away into exile. And sadly, they did forget all the things that Moses has been telling them. Don't forget, this is vital to your experience in the new land that he has promised. They actually do forget. But God is faithful. And God was faithful to them even in that moment. Because even as the Israelites had failed, he always had a plan to usher in a new covenant. And in this new covenant, it would be, there would be a day coming that would provide for the forgiveness of sins once and for all. God actually spoke about this new covenant through the prophet Jeremiah. In the Old Testament, he spoke about this new covenant that would come. And let's look at it together. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant, the Mosaic covenant that I made with the fathers, the patriarchs on that day, when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, 
though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful. I live under this covenant instead of the Mosaic covenant. If the blessing and favor that I received from God was based on my obedience to him, I'd be miserable. But thankfully today, we live under the new covenant. We are blessed through our relationship with Jesus Christ, who, by the way, did keep the law perfectly and fulfilled the law perfectly and took all of our sin and disobedience upon himself when he went to the cross and suffered and died in our place. And today we live under the forgiveness and the freedom under this new covenant. We actually today can live extraordinary lives of faith through Jesus Christ, who actually gives us his Holy Spirit to guide our lives and to change our hearts from the inside out. The truth is that God wants you to live an extraordinary life of faith through Jesus Christ. And you know why? Because he loves you. He loves you. And he demonstrated this love through the death and resurrection of his son. He put his love into action by sending his only son to die for the forgiveness of your sins, to provide for you to live in freedom from under the law, to live in a relationship with him through Christ. He is extraordinary, and he provided a way by grace through faith in Jesus. And yet we still struggle, don't we, to live on the other side of the boundary? We struggle to live in a world, it's not the Canaanite gods anymore, but there's all kinds of other things that are warring for our hearts, all kinds of things that are tempting our attention away from God. We have struggled living immersed in a world that is constantly messaging everything anti-God to us. But... Like Moses warned the Israelites, Paul warned us in Romans 12, verse 2. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the Holy Spirit, by the renewal of your mind, what you think, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, the Spirit helps us do that. The Spirit helps us live in a world, a very anti-God world, and keep our attention on the extraordinary character of God and extraordinary deeds of God as we seek to live out an extraordinary faith with God. So I want to leave you with just three ways that you can just very simply apply this passage to your life this week. The first is to set your mind on the Word of God. Set your mind on the Word of God for guidance, for instruction, for insight, for wisdom, um, for direction. He gives instructions in his word that are applicable to your life. I am so thrilled to say that we, we're not a very big church. But we have 750 humans in Bible study this year. I'm saying like men, women, and children, 750 of us, men, men's Bible study, women's Bible study, and our high school ministry, we're all doing the gospel of John together, opening his word together, soaking our hearts in his word. That's amazing. If you haven't joined us yet, come and join us. We are, we are deeply entrenched in the person of Jesus Christ, and it's beautiful. 
The second thing is set your heart upon the spirit of God who comes to live in your heart when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Um, And then when you receive his spirit, listen to his spirit, pay attention. What is he saying? How is he leading? How is he directing your life? Respond to him, respond to the spirit. And then set your will or your desire upon worshiping God. We heard last week about the kinds of idols that reside in our hearts, things that, that are counterfeit gods to us, things that we steal away our true worship of God. Eradicate those idols. Make room in your heart for worshiping God and worship him through adoration and thanksgiving, but actually worship him through loving one another. I love that Jesus took all of the laws of the Old Testament, all of the commandments, and boiled them down into two very simple things, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. To love, right? To love like he loves. You know, every time we come to the communion table, we are remembering, again, who God is and what he's done for us. It's, it's amazing. There is no God like our God who would call sinful people out from the nations to come and to um, receive what Christ has done on the cross, which is the forgiveness of sins, so that we can be restored in our relationship with him and we can enjoy being part of the body of Christ being together as part of the body of Christ. He's building his church and he is so worthy of worship. So as you come to receive the communion elements this morning, I wanna encourage you to take them back to your seat and just to think for a moment about what God has done for you through the cross of Christ. And then when we've all gotten the elements, we, as we're singing, I'll come back up and as a people, as the body of Christ, we'll take, receive the elements together and we'll continue worshiping. Let me pray for us. Father, you are amazing. You are extraordinary in every way. And we praise you and we thank you so much for what you've done by your love, which is to give us your son. That You sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world, fully God and fully man, to die on a cross for our sins that we could be forgiven. And we're so grateful, Lord, that we don't live under the rules of the Mosaic Covenant. Our our faith is not conditional upon obedience but we simply receive Christ as our savior. You change our hearts from the inside out and we are able to live in freedom and faith and love and devotion to you. So Lord, as we come to the table, would you remind us of what you've done? What a great and mighty thing you've done by your love to give us Jesus as our savior and help us Lord to grow deeper and more deeply in love with you as we we draw near to you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You can come and and. Receive the bread in the cup.